All right, everybody, welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today we have Ryan Breedwell, investment advisor and fiduciary. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Doing good. Hey, Ryan, if you wouldn't mind just starting off, tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Ryan Breedwell, as uh, was mentioned. I'm an investment advisor out in California. Uh, I pretty much handle beyond your guys' real estate, anything with money we pretty much can help advise you on or help position it to uh, better leverage your position. So a lot of our clients at our firm happen to be real estate investors or realtors or mortgage lenders. That's just the area we tend to specialize in working with. What we do is we, again, outside of real estate, we help people direct their dollars to be tax efficient, tax-free, uh, using leverage to buy more real estate, really just educating people on how they can use their money to the maximum availability so that there's nothing really left on the table. Uh, we're about 31 years old. Uh, the firm has about 1.7 billion in assets as of uh, market close last week. And we have never had a complaint filed either as a firm. So we're really, really, really proud of that. So we really try wow. to carry ourselves above the line whenever we do planning with people. And if there's something we just can't do. We just don't do it. Yeah. So you said you've been in business for 31 years. You're a younger guy. You know, yeah. I believe it's you and your dad that have kind of run this. Correct. My father is the president. Uh, he is, his name is Richard. Um, I'm the vice president. Uh, we have a few uh, people that work in office and then we have processing staff in a couple different locations. So we have a tax planning team out in Fayetteville, Arkansas. That's uh, called Scruggs Ridge & Co. That's our CPA firm that we work with in-house. We have a legal team in-house as well with a large group of analysts. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the heavy hitters we have on our team is like Dave Cox. He used to manage the income fund for PIMCO, which is over a $1 trillion fund, trillion with a wow. T. He works with us now. Um, Ernest DeBaca is our head counsel. He was uh, involved with the SEC for quite some time. And we have um, Darren Levitt, who is a very well-known um, analyst, and he works on our team as well. So we have a really strong powerhouse of um, individuals. Uh, cumulatively, we have over 300 years of investment advising experience combined at the firm. Not like we've been around for 300 years, but if you took Dave's, you know, 27, my dad's, you cumulatively added them. So we have a very, very, very robust uh, team, but we function as a family office and family offices are generally reserved for the ultra, ultra, ultra wealthy. It's essentially a one-stop shop where we can kind of direct and put your money or say, hey, this is a tax function. We have the CPA here. Hey, this is a legal function. Go meet with the attorney mm -hmm. rather than having to refer all that business outside. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously it's a, it, you know, a family business, right? You mentioned your dad is the president. Um, have you always wanted to be part of the family business doing this financial planning and, and investment advice and stuff? Or did you dabble in some other things before you hit this whole, whole scene? Yeah, I definitely worked at Chipotle in college. Um, so I did, I, did, I did the traditional work route. Um, I grew up around it. So it was kind of always like, hey, this is, if this is what you want, this is totally something on the table. I would say that my dad definitely gleaned me and um, brought me up to be very savvy with money. We talked about money a lot. We talked about how money works, what, you know, things that people like shied away from, like, me and my parents at the dinner table talked about how much money they were making. So I could understand that that was an important thing to grasp on. And a lot of people are like, Oh, you don't talk about how much money you make. 
Well, you should, because it's an important thing. Um, if I know that my friend's not making a ton of money and he wants to go keep up with me, I'm probably like, hey, dude, can you afford to do this? Like, is that a good idea? So that was how I was raised. Now, fast forward to college, I went in for a marketing degree. I stayed with marketing throughout my whole uh, college career. Where did that you was the Sonoma State, Sonoma State University. Okay. Yeah, I played a little bit of baseball there uh, for about a year and a half. I uh, was in a fraternity. If anybody out there is a teak, I was a Ta Kappa Epsilon. That's the fraternity I was in. Was social chair there for a couple years. Had a lot of fun. Uh, but the best thing I got from college, honestly, was learning how to be an adult. I got a lot from the from the um, economics and stuff. But I think you guys would agree, just like there's real estate school, you kind of just learn hands on on the job. But I'm digressing a little bit. I worked at Chipotle um, and the recycling center on campus, just like a traditional college student. Uh, graduated in four and a half years, walked in my fifth year because I graduated in fall and that's just lame to walk in fall. So I waited until May. I was a super senior. We called it the victory lap. <laughs> I did a victory lap. I took like a Native American multicultural studies class. I uh, got that knocked out, walked in May of uh, 2015. Um, from 2014, January of that year, I had decided to get into the finance world. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I was you know, at a car dealership, so I was helping out selling cars, getting people into the finance department. I just didn't like that. Um, it was very much how little can we tell to somebody so we can make the most off of them. And so I wasn't really, that's, that's not my MO. I was there for a year and a half. I worked at an Acura dealership. I got multiple awards for being a top salesman. It was great. So really what it taught me to do was talk and sell. Um, in 2000, October 2015, I completed all my licenses. And then January of 2016, I officially came into the firm, but I started really October 2015. So I'm in my sixth year as we speak right now in the midst of it. So five years and about one month I've been in the industry. Um, it's been really fun. But the reason that I, I kind of jumped ship was because, man, I worked my ass off. I mean, I was... I was living in Santa Rosa, if there's anybody that's familiar with Northern California. I was living in Santa Rosa and commuting 47 miles one way to get to work in traffic and then driving back through traffic. So it was about a three and a half hour round trip commute and I was doing it six days a week. That was something that maybe got my work ethic, you know, kind of rounded up. Mm -hmm. um, but I made like $55,000 and I was like, excuse me, my French here, but I pretty much said, fuck that. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. So got my licensing, did all that, um, moved into the firm and I have never looked back since. Uh, took over as chief wealth strategist here in the, at the end of 2018. And I've been in that role uh, since then. Um, I do most of our insurance business at the firm. And my dad primarily focuses on our pension business or our pension planning business. So my focus is our 401k administration for the 401ks we do for companies. Mm -hmm. I do asset management. I help with the insurance planning. We don't do health insurance, just like long-term care, life insurance, term life insurance, stuff like that. Cool. And then my, uh, um, I don't, he's not really my assistant, but he would do what an assistant does, but his name is Phil. He's a registered solicitor for me. So he essentially has all the same licensing I have, but he handles the front end of everything. Phone calls, appointments, calendar, CRM and that. And we really work in tandem to kind of keep my book of business 
for my personal clients rolling and then I manage the whole uh, client base as well. So it's, it's pretty easy. We have about 54 staff we can leverage uh, to do a lot of processing. TD Ameritrade is the custodian where we keep our clients money so we can call them for help sometimes. Yeah. Um, so it's a really smooth operation. Really, really, really smooth operation. $353 million in assets in 2015 and 1.7 billion today. So what we're doing is working very well. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, one of the things that we had reached out to you about was you have a lot of experience being younger and in the business of finance. You're, you're able to <clears throat> not dumb things down, but say things in a way that it's usually more easily understood for people like Kate and myself and maybe some of the people that are listening. Yep. Um, we've talked with you off camera before about some of the basics of financial planning, but can you run us through kind of what are the, what are the broad strokes of, of financial planning basics? I mean, you mentioned a few things like 401ks and things like that. Um, but what are things that like maybe Kate and I could do? Yeah. So like I'll speak specifically to if I was talking to realtors or real estate investors like yourselves, because again, that's my primary base of clients. I have ultra high net worth, professional athletes, and then pretty much real estate individuals and then corporations that do corporate stuff too. Mm -hmm. What I would say to you guys is we would definitely want to throw what you know. So this is going to be a fresh thing you'll hear from an advisor. There's kind of two ways to go about your financial planning. You're either going to be real estate heavy or you're going to be traditional investment heavy. And a lot of advisors are uncomfortable with the real estate heavy because that doesn't compensate us. We don't get paid for you to have real estate. And so normally the buck will stop there. Oh, you know, real estate this, but it's a liability on the balance sheet, which it is, even if it's cash flowing, that's a fine fact to just know. Um, but then there's a lot of things where it's like, it's half truth. It's like, yeah, but I can amortize my cost. It's a tax benefit. It's the rental income off of it is paying part of my mortgage and I'm cash flowing. I can cash out refi that, that property and take that money and invest it elsewhere. There's a lot of other things that are working with that that are just not really shown. So what I would talk to real estate investors are, or people that have real estate as their main token is, we need to focus on that. That needs to be your main source of, of investing because that's what you understand. And to be frank, real estate is much easier to understand than traditional investments, which is why it's a very popular and it makes a lot of money very quick. So why, why wouldn't I want my clients to be involved in that? I feel like that'd be asinine for me not to in involve that in the conversation. So what I say is, well, we got your real estate here, but as you know, we should not have all of our money in one thing because right. you would think it'd be stupid for somebody that has all their money in traditional investments, not have any real estate. So I'm going to say the same thing to you. Yeah. So why don't we slice this up a little bit? Let's come up with some numbers and some complementary plans that you can do for yourself that will enhance your real estate business while also adhering to the principles of basic financial planning. We have to have long-term investments that are going to eventually do better than real estate. Because mm -hmm. one thing I will tell you, and I'm sober to the fact, $20,000 in an investment account is going to do a whole hell of a lot less than $20,000 into a real estate investment, whether it be a rental, whether it be a fix and flip. And that's due to leverage. You have to understand leverage is the secret sauce of real estate. We're leveraging other people's cash with a little bit of cash. And that is, that's kind of the sexiness. That's the sauce that makes it go. Yeah. I would talk to those people. Hey, yeah, we got a hundred percent of our money in real estate. Why don't we take off 25% of that? We'll still be real estate heavy. And let's maybe try these flavors out and see if you like it. 
Why don't we do a brokerage account? Why don't we do a self-directed IRA? If you want to do something that complements your real estate out of your investment accounts. And maybe we can talk about infinite banking, which I'm sure we'll probably get into later yeah, in the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff that can complement your business. So you don't feel like you're taking away from it. You're simply putting stuff in different baskets so that when your hard money lender doesn't have money for you, when you're over leveraged in the eyes of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and you can't get a traditional loan, what can we do to get that money so you can continue to generate income in the way that you understand how? I don't go to a professional baseball player and not tell them to go to the gym five days a week because they have to do that. It's their job. So I'm not going to go to a real estate investor and tell them not to do real estate. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what terrible financial advisors do. Conversely, if I meet somebody on the other end of the spectrum, we like to try to introduce real estate into their life. Maybe I know a client in your guys's area. I, Hey, I have a client that needs an investment property. Your guy, I trust these people. I work with them. Let me go ahead and call Caden Scott or Jason, you know, mutual friend yeah. of ours, Jason. Hey Jay, do you got anything for this person? They're looking for a kind of a, they got 50 grand. And they want a turnkey investment property, you know, stuff like that. So that's the power of not having a bias and truly being a fiduciary and working with what the client wants to do and within their parameters for what they're comfortable with. Yeah. A lot of stuff I've told a lot of people to do that they didn't do and I don't hold it against them. That's their choice because it's their money. It's my job to tell them my opinion on it, but it's their job to act upon that. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched upon um, it. Uh, I think you did a good job of touching upon it a little bit. Um, what? So if, if there's somebody, say, in, in our space, in the real estate space, and they've got basically 100% of their, their stuff and their investments in real estate, hesitant to branch out and, it, you know, do all the things that you were saying, what, you know, what would you say to them are the main benefits of branching out and, you know, working with, you know, you guys, an investment advisor and start to branch out a little bit. Diversification. You wouldn't continuously buy all your properties if you had a choice in one single area, if you're going to get a diversified real estate portfolio, correct? Because different demographics provide different things. If I'm in San Francisco, I probably got a small house, but the rent is unreal. If yeah. I'm in Fresno in some of the areas that you guys have, we have smaller houses that are going to pull a modest rent, but they're easy to acquire. So I can get a lot of them. Yeah. So each deal has its own merit. And so that's kind of how we approach it. What I would say to those people, um, cause your question is how, what I would say to them. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Don't be afraid. You make, you made this step to get into real estate. I'm simply trying to tell you, Hey, if you go knock on the door of all the hitters, and I think Jason brought this up. Sorry to mention his name so much. I just know you're fine. No, he worries. comes on the podcast yeah. pretty often. Yeah. Okay. So Jason brought this up and I thought it was really good in a conversation I had with him. Um, and if you guys don't know Jason Pritchard, shoot him a follow. Wonderful guy, high, high, high quality individual and extremely successful. So wonderful person to follow and, and, and build yourself after, just like I think you guys have. He said, you know what was really weird? I've been diehard on this real estate. And I am diehard real estate. But when I got to the next level and I started hey mistering these people, they have brokerage accounts, they have stocks, they have they have CMA accounts, which are cash management accounts, they have insurance policies, they have other things besides real estate because they have have figured there's this magical word that applies to everything. It's called level of diminishing returns. Eventually you're gonna cap out on, on all your tax benefits from real estate. 
eventually you're going to cap out on not wanting to be a landlord anymore, or have multiple property management companies. When you get to that point, that's when it starts making sense to diversify. What I, how, how I explain investments is very easy. I explain them like real estate. If we have a brokerage account and I have 20 grand in there, I have a $20,000 house and I'm going to generate a percentage of rent off of that house. The difference on my house and your house though is there's no tenants. I generally raise the rent by five to 30% every year and I don't have to put in, there's nothing to repair. The caveat to that is it may go down in value just like my home value would go down in value, but shit, I wasn't selling my home in 2008, so I ain't going to sell it when the market's down. Yeah. So it's yeah. A very, I ask a very sobering question to real estate investors. You owned it, real estate investments 2008, 2009. Yeah, absolutely. Great. When the market crashed, the walls cave in, the cabinets fall off, there was rent not collected. No. The value of that asset was just less at that time because demand made it that way. There was an oversupply and, uh, and no demand. So the prices have to drop. That's supply and demand, people. That's economics 101. So what I tell people is when we buy investments, they work the same way. You would never want to sell your investment at a loss. We probably want to, if I go to the grocery store and filet is $9.99 a pound, I'm not like, shit, that's probably terrible filet. I don't want to have any of that. I'm like, damn, I need to get that while it's on sale. You do that with real estate, you do that with your food, and you do that with your investments. Yeah. The real um, investment market is the craziest thing, guys, because it's the only, and, and psychologically with most people, it's the only marketplace that when things are overpriced, the demand for them is higher. And when things are on sale, the demand goes away. And that's for lack of knowledge on how money works. And this is also a good point to bring up. They do not do a live index on housing prices specifically because they know people would try to sell their house too much. That's yeah. exactly why they don't have live tickers on your house. Yeah. They do for like mortgage rates because that's a sensitive thing like LIBOR and stuff like that. Right. But they don't say, hey, your home value is worth this. You have to go through a process to kind of figure that out. And that's for a reason, people. So always keep in mind that there's just not one right way to do anything. Yeah. As an investment advisor, I'm okay saying that, knowing that real estate fills that gap. But as an investor and as a real estate investor, you have to be okay with being sober to the fact that that's the reality. Yeah. You can live in whatever fantasy land you want to live in, but you're going to start getting passed up by people who have found out that that's the real uh, reason for the season. Why they, how you build true wealth long-term is being over-diversified, not just pinholed into one thing. Um, the last thing I'll bring up is imagine if you did have that, and you own property in New York or California or Florida or Michigan, blue states that put in moratoriums that you couldn't kick your renters out. Maybe they're not paying you rent. And that's the unsexy side that's not talked about in real estate when you can't collect rent. Right. But that's a, that real estate holds just as many risks as the stock market does. It's just different ones. So I, I would argue when you have them together, they fill and they complement the gaps. Hmm. Now, you've brought up diversification a few times, and we are in agreement with you that uh, Kate and I come from the real estate side, so we, we focus a lot on real estate investing. All of our current investments are real estate-based. Mm -hmm. We reached out to you because we are interested in what that next step looks like on diversification. Um, when we've talked before, you've mentioned that there are different ratios, and you just even now said that there's no perfect answer, but typically... What would be a considered like a, a, a well-diversified portfolio? Is there a percentage ratio you want to be at? Like, 
you know, only maximum of like 60% in one type of investment or, you know, how do you guys handle that? Yeah. And that would, that answer would be each, each case would hold its own merit. And that's because tax laws for each state are different. Mm -hmm. Your income is completely different than their income. Person A is not going to have the same intent as person B. So I think if we had a cookie cutter approach, we would get cookie cutter results. You know, if you try to jam everybody's foot into a size 11 shoe, some are going to fit, but a lot of them are going to get blistered and not be very happy. Right. So we try not to do that. We try to say, what do you want to do? Okay, let's go build this plan. And then let's actually run this through what's called a Monte Carlo simulator, which has, it randomizes market returns through all asset classes and tells you the likelihood of that plan working. And we try to shoot for a 90% or higher likelihood that that plan will work. And then I feel comfortable implementing that plan. Mm. it's below that we tweak the percentages and the weightings to get that to a 90%, but ultimately let the client decide what they want to do. I had some guy from New Jersey that picked a 5% likelihood chance plan over a 92. No idea why, but he wanted to do that. And he is allowed to do that if he wants to do it. But what we try to do is say, here's, here's our, what we're going to do and what we're going to work and how, what you're paying us for. Here's the, here's what we can do and how we can do it. Does this fit? your idea of how your retirement works. Yeah. No, that's not what I like. I think I want to have a little bit more real estate. Okay. That's going to be riskier and it'll make the likelihood of the plan working less. We may have to pivot in the future, but we can definitely do that. Just sign this form that says this was a non-solicited transaction. And then we do it. Sweet. I just make them, I make them sign a form saying I didn't advise them to do that. They chose to do that themselves. Yeah. But so, it's almost yeah. like if you told somebody not to buy a house and they wanted to buy it, Shit, they might as well buy it from you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to transition a little bit. Um, you mentioned it earlier. I know it's a topic you wanted to talk about. Uh, we wanted to ask about. Um, talk to us a little bit about what infinite banking is. Mm. Yeah. Super basic. So infinite banking is a very broad term. Yeah. yeah and there's, there's a lot of people in your guys' space that love infinite banking. Do you want to know why they like it? Because it's an, it's an insurance policy and they pay, they pay good commissions. We get paid well when we sell them. The problem that I run into is that they're getting designed by insurance only agents or guys that do it for a side gig and they don't have the kind of skin in the game or neck on the line that I do. So a very popular one and I talk about it all the time. So I have no problem mentioning it is like the money multiplier. You got fucking, Chris Noggle, all those guys. And they're pretty much pushing about the exact same product at all times. It's a high, high early cash value mass mutual policy, or maybe it's a Lafayette life. And they are like Kool-Aid gurus. I mean, they will tell you shit that just does not, it's not factual. And the thing that I run into a lot is the plans are just designed wrong. They're designed to pay the agent a huge commission. You're not overfunding your policy. And so what I get a lot is, oh yeah, you know, I'm doing this. And, I, and I'm an, also an outlier. I do not sell whole life insurance. So if you all, if anybody watching this contacts me, I use universal life insurance. And there's reasons that that's not as good as whole life, but there's a lot more reasons that it's better. One of the reasons is it pays me a lot less to set up the plan. So that's always going to be better because the internal costs on the plan are less. But the other thing is the loans the loans, the loans, the loans. You go to an insurance company. I set one up in Florida like 
four hours ago. This guy's got $100,000. He wants to put 100 grand into his policy for 10 years. We have to go to the insurance company and say, hey, insurance company, I'm going to put $100,000 into this plan. The insurance company is going to know that what you're doing, you're trying to overfund the plan so that you can then loan back out of it tax-free, purchase real estate, syndicate your money, loan it to other people and become a lender, whatever you want to do. The problem is these contracts are extremely rigid. And a lot of the times people don't understand how to read them. And not a lot of times people don't understand how to read them. And I do. And what a lot of these contracts do that are sold by like the money multiplier group um, is they lock you into being forced to pay these premiums till you're like 85 or a hundred years old. And that's, I have I will not pay for my insurance past the day that I retire and nobody else should either. What is sold a lot of the times is the, the mechanics of all life insurance, where you put money in, you can earn interest, you have a potential to earn interest, not a guarantee, while you loan the money out, and you can use those dollars elsewhere to purchase another asset class and then make money on that. So it's like getting a three hit on one line of money. I'm earning interest on the pot of money, even though I took money out of it. So I have 100 grand, I took 50 out, there's still $100,000 in that account earning interest. I take the $50,000 out, I loan it to another real estate investor. I charge them 10% in a point. So now I'm making 10% in a point on my money on the 50 grand. Excuse me. Sorry about my animals. And then maybe I made a good investment and now I have a positive arbitrage on my loan spread. So that's, that's really the secret sauce of how infinite banking works. Well, you can have up to three, sometimes even four, but really three areas that you can earn interest in above and beyond just in a whole life policy, a dividend in my policy an index credit, how you can earn interest above and beyond what you're being charged. There's no other asset class that does that. Where if I have a 401k and if I took a $50,000 loan out of my 401k and there was a hundred thousand dollars in there, I would only earn interest on the $50,000 that was left in my 401k. There's no other opportunity. Would I get the money out tax-free? Yes. But I would then be forced to pay myself back with interest, normally around six, four to 6%, which is a lot of money for savings upon yourself. So the concept is how I use it with my clients, overfunding life insurance to then use to purchase more real estate. My clients that use an infinite banking policy can generally purchase two to three times the amount of real estate over their lifetime that they could have without using infinite banking. Hmm. The problem that a lot of people run into is they take a little bit of seasoning. There are a lot of plans that will absolutely let you pull money out immediately. The problem with that is they're going to charge you eight, 9% on your cash and pay you a four to 5% dividend which if anybody can do math, that's minus 4% to your money. That makes no sense. You should never pay to take your own money out. That doesn't make any sense. So that is where it's missold. Put your money into this, hold it for a year, take the money out a year later. I don't have to worry about it after 12 months because after 12 months, if you cancel it, nothing bad happens to me. And that's where I see a lot of things go awry. So this individual, for example, is going to put $100,000 in. He's going to write another $90,000 check on top of that and immediately turn around in about six months and take 75 grand out of that policy and use it for a multifamily down in Florida. 
that's okay to do, but it took 190 grand for him to leverage 75. Yeah. That doesn't sound very good, but when you look at the plan long term, it is going to make you hand over fist more money than if you got a hard money lender or you went to a traditional round and took a took a loan out to get that money. Yeah. Um, and that's be, that's that's how it works. The problem is it's so broad and I'm so honest that I couldn't say how it would work even specifically for you. And I've talked to you, Scott or Kate, I couldn't say how specifically it would work for you. We'd have to say, how am I wanting to use it? How much money do I want to put into this plan? And then how would that look for me in a quantifiable manner? Um, so that's why it's so hard. The infinite banking question is so hard, but the basics of it are that using insurance to purchase more real estate or other assets while I continue to earn interest on that money as if it was not used. Yeah. Now the question I have is that, um, how does somebody who is like, how would somebody listening to this podcast even get involved in infinite banking? I mean, do it, do they have to go, um, to somebody like you to do that or how does that work and can you explain what that stuff would even look like yeah so for uh individuals that were interested in going through like figuring out if that would be something that would work for them we generally set up a, a intro either you know dm me on my instagram send me an email shoot me a text message and we'll i'll get you into the system to get a phone call kind of an intro meeting i go over the basics for that person we decide what carrier we're going to use based on what state they're in and then we pretty much say this is how it would work. This is the funding level that it would take for that. We go over numbers together. We show them all the potential that the policy could have, short-term, mid-term, long-term. We go over the pitfalls of it, short-term, mid-term, and long-term, how it can complement their current plan. And as long as that person is okay with that, then we go ahead and set up the plan and begin funding it. There's no cost. There's no obligation to figure out if an, a policy works for you. But something to keep in mind is when you generally fund these policies, they're done with heavier deposits because they're meant to be used fairly quickly. Okay. So most of my clients are doing a thousand, fifteen hundred, twenty-five hundred dollars a month. And that would be kind of the smaller end of the policies. And then I have a lot of people that do fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty, uh, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year under their policies. And those are really meant to leverage hard off of them and use them as a banking source primarily for the long term for those clients. The nice thing is it can be done both ways and both plans still work. So that's the flexibility that exists within that, that uh, scheme of planning. Sweet. For somebody who has really no prior knowledge or doesn't really know that maybe they have some money, um, you know, they, they're not really invested in anything right now. They haven't uh, spoken with somebody like you, a financial advisor or, or a, a financial planner. What would be the first step for somebody like that who has a little bit of money, wants to start, um, you know, putting themselves on the right track? What would you recommend as their first step? I would say that the easiest thing to do is just a discovery call with me. I call everybody directly. I talk to you. Um, let, let me talk to you specifically in a private setting and let's figure out if this is going to be something that we can explore some more. After that first phone call, both parties, myself and the other individual, will know where we're going. Mm -hmm. Hey, infinite banking didn't work out, but I do kind of still want to work with you on my traditional stuff. Hey, I really just want to keep in contact with you and know that you're somebody I can ask questions to in the future, and eventually I'll get to that point. All of those people, everybody in between and outside, as long as you're interested and you're willing to have an um, honest conversation, there's a lot to be gained by talking about it. You, you know, um, 
if you if if a lot of real estate investors didn't explore real estate, didn't pick up that book, didn't listen to that person that pushed them, they wouldn't be where they are today. Yeah. So my job is to like do that in a way that is palpable. I'm I I have to be uh, privy and know that I'm selling a product ultimately. So it's it's going to compensate me if something somebody buys something and they know that. So I need to provide a lot of value to this person and, and how it's going to work. And really it's a value add. I can't control that I get paid and then it's a function and I'm not upset that I do, but this is why it's going to work for you. This is how it's going to work. Here's how much money I'm making. Here's how the plan is designed. Here's where you can see that I'm taking away my commission to overfund the policy. So just stuff like that. And then we leave it with people and we let them cook on it and look at it and say, Hey, this is something I want to do. And, um, you know, millions of dollars of premium this year later, we, we sell a lot of those policies every month. We just make sure that the person that is setting it up understands what they're getting themselves into. I don't say that they have a negative connotation. You just have to understand that like before you get into a real estate deal, it's a big deal. It's going to make you a lot of money. So there's a lot of boxes to be checked. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like there's like a lot, there's a, a huge range of people that could be benefited from talking with you. Even people like ourselves who are new to the investing business or yeah. investing world all the way up to people who are probably uh, significantly more experienced than even yourself might even get something to learn. Um, yeah. meeting with you. I love, I love meeting and networking with people. I was just about to jump on that. Like yeah. if I couldn't help you out, I know you now, and maybe I know somebody that you could help out and then I'll help you out. And law of reciprocity says you're going to remember that and possibly help me out in the future. So yeah. I, I completely subscribe to that. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of people that could benefit from talking to you. Uh, when we spoke with you months ago, you you said, hey, you know what? Uh, you want to be a resource to our, our fan base or not our fan base, our listener base, and that you want to help as many people as we can. Um, so we want to put your contact information on here. If you want to tell people what the best way to reach out, I know you mentioned Instagram, but yeah. If if you guys want to check out my Instagram handle, it's really simple at R Breedwell. My last, it's B R E E D W E L L. No, I don't have any kids. And um, that's my Instagram. DM me there. Um, I have my podcast set up. So I also run my own podcast uh, every Wednesday. Check it out. We give wealth building updates, we give information on the real estate market, mortgage forbearance, just a really good information source. What's the name of your podcast? Millionaire Mindcast. I do it with Matt Aitchison. So Mondays and Fridays, he's doing real estate, motivational, talking to other millionaires. On Wednesday, we get together, talk about the climate of what's going on in the world. Not literally, like what's going on in the world. <laughs> and uh, investment focused, everything that makes money and what, how it ties into our day-to-day. -day. I also have a, a line set up if you guys wanted to text the word x-ray or invest to 844-447-1555. If you're interested in kind of going through the process and figuring out what it's called, we have you send the word x-ray in. That tells us you're wanting to look through stuff and kind of see things in. If you have investment accounts set up that you want to know what fees you're paying, if you currently are working with somebody on an insurance policy and you want to know if that's the best one for you, text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. If you have questions on how I could work with you and you're just a traditional real estate investor, text the word invest to 844-447-1555. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. My cell phone number, if you guys want to blow me up and, and 
Hey, Ryan, nice to 707-372-2207. It's all over the internet, so I can't hide anymore. <laughs> so hit me up. I'm, I'm happy to answer any and all questions for anybody. And you really, uh, Scott and Cade uh, could be an advocate for me in this area. We talked months ago, and I will not blow your phone up. I will not blast you with text messages. It's pure value add. I am a destination purchase. I don't sell tires. I don't sell homes. I do financial planning. So if you come to me, I know exactly what you're coming to me for. So I'd be happy to help. Yeah. And, and just, to, just to close on that, Cade and I reached out to Ryan, uh, this was months ago, and just had an initial conversation about what he does and very similar to this interview. And Ryan was actually out of the office on a Saturday in the early mornings uh, in Mexico. Mexico. In Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's just throw that one in there. <laughs> and, was, and was able to answer so many questions for us. We spent a lot of time on Zoom, really just going through the details. And he's been super easy to reach out to with more questions. And I don't think I've ever gotten any kind of marketing from him in any way. So, uh, great guy to reach out to, especially if you're interested in infinite banking or any of those uh, hot topics where you might get yeah, active financial planning, infinite banking real estate as a whole, hit me up. I love meeting new people. I love adding value to people. And if we can all sit at the same table and eat and win, that's a wonderful time to me. Love it. Awesome. Well, Ryan, you know, Scott and I both appreciate you. It's always good catching up and uh, talking with you. Um, I know our listeners are going to really appreciate this episode. So thanks again for coming on, man. Thanks, Not Ryan. Problem, guys. Appreciate you. We appreciate you, sir.